0: Now I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 27. This is, uh, this is an exciting, dramatic chapter for sure. Um, how shall we say? Because we are sinners, there is a lot of dysfunction in our lives as human beings. All of us can relate with dysfunction because of that sin that we bring to the table, that other people bring. Um, we're dealing with this constantly in our own lives, so when we read it, in the pages of Scripture, we should not be too surprised. However, having said that, this chapter has such uh, incredible happenings in uh, the really the connivory that you see unfold here is just it makes Genesis 27 easily in the top 10 displays of dysfunction in the Bible. Uh, no question about it. Um, one commentator that I quote often, uh, Candlish, he said, We now enter upon the most pathetic of all the narratives in this book. And that's saying a lot when you think of some of the individuals we've seen. He's not in any way demeaning the Word of God. He's just describing full display as the treachery of the human heart, even among those who God uses to further His covenant promises, even among those who God Himself says were people of faith. Yet we'll notice uh, what happens. So I will read Genesis 27. I take these full. Um, sweeps of scripture because the whole story is contained there, and I think it's best gathered this way. Here as I read, this is God's holy word. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the, before the Lord before I die." Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him. And Bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat's She put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which he had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found, found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He said, He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and ate, and he brought him wine and drink, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of the heaven, and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing." Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob." But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Let's bow together as I leave some prayer. Lord, this is a gripping account of dysfunction and deceit, treachery, villainy, all still under the hand of your absolute sovereignty. Please give us help by your Holy Spirit to understand what we are reading and be strengthened in our faith as a result. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I realize when we take these larger sections of Scripture, um, we might miss some details if not careful. So I want to give you some preliminary interpretive tools when we come to this passage. It has to be said plainly that Jacob was not chosen to be the heir of the covenant to receive this blessing because he stole the birthright and the blessing. He didn't really connive his way into God's will in this sense. In fact, Jacob was chosen by God to be the bearer of God's promises to Abraham before this episode ever unfolds. In fact, before the foundation of the world. We know this because the Apostle Paul says about this instance in Romans 9. Listen to what he says. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written in Malachi, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. God made his choice of election, and Jacob would be the promised one, the one who would continue the promise of Abraham. And it wasn't because of who Jacob was. If, if it wasn't for the fact that God laid that out, we might wonder, how is this Jacob? This is so the purposes of God's election might continue. God ordained for Jacob to be the bearer of the blessings of Abraham before the foundation of the world, and this is the story of how it unfolds in real time. Rayburn says it well, and I'll say it carefully. God sinlessly using sin to accomplish his purposes. How can this possibly be? What did you just say? We see throughout the biblical record that God will bring his purposes to pass through human beings committing sins. The ultimate example of this is the killing, the unjust killing. If you take it from an earthly standpoint, it's the murder of Jesus is the way you would describe it if you just look at it in earthly terms. It's completely unjust. All sorts of sinning from the Romans and the Jews and the crowds against an innocent man. Yet, this is by God's plan so that he would lay his life down for us. This is exactly what Genesis 3.15 predicts. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, but he'll have his heel bruised. This is God's plan for his Messiah. This is why it says in Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, but the Romans and the Jews did it. But it says the will of the Lord was for him to crush him. God used the sin of the Jewish leaders in the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire to accomplish the giving of his son for our atonement. Here we have Jacob on the surface level stealing the covenant blessing from Isaac. But it's another example of God sinlessly using human sin to accomplish his purposes. Borrowing from Gordon Wenham, Jacob's theft of the blessing from Esau demonstrates the infallibility of God's gracious plan for redemption despite the fallibility of his chosen ones. There's a whole lot of fallibility going on in this passage. Now let's walk through the passage together and note the dysfunction at the same time the sovereign hand of God moving these things and what he teaches the people in this episode and hopefully by extension will teach us. will appreciate with all this dysfunction, there's still the grace of God in the thick of all this extraordinary dysfunction that we see. You notice right from the get-go in verse 1, the author Moses wants us to learn some things about Esau. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him. Notice that Moses describes Esau not as his firstborn son. That's the way Esau describes himself, the one with privilege. But now he's just the older son because he's given his birthright away already. He despised his birthright. And so the two meet, my son, here I am. Moses acknowledges what is legally true about Esau. Then it says in verse 2, behold I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Now the truth is he lived for quite some time after this. Uh, But we know that Isaac was a very sensual man. He lived by his feelings. Yes, he was a man of faith, but all too often his appetites crept in the way of his spiritual perspective and thinking. And this is another case. He loved Esau because of this. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. He loved the way that food tasted. It tasted different from the domestic flocks, no different, There's some, no doubt. There's something about this that he really loved, and he loved this about Esau, and he wants to bless Esau. He wants Esau to receive the blessings that will last on. Now, by this time, Isaac must know that Esau is not the chosen one in this sense. The secrecy of how Isaac does this whole thing with the blessing it really proves that he knew he was doing something to subvert what he had to have revealed as God's plan through Jacob. But it's Esau I loved, and he wanted the food that Esau could provide for him. Yes, a man of faith, but a sensual man governed all too often by his physical senses. Let's think of this in the life of Isaac a bit. It's his sensuality that led him to be a poor father. Now, when I say sensuality, we often think of Uh, sexual appetite, given into that kind of appetite that can ruin somebody. But sensuality is from the word senses or sense. It has to do with the gratification of any of the senses with the indulgences of appetites that we have in those areas. It could be, in this case, like for food. For Isaac, a good meal, he could not pass this up. This was so important. The, The experience of eating like that was so pleasuresome to him that he, he lost his spiritual, covenantal mind whenever he had the idea that he could get some food. And look what Esau brings me. I love this food he brings me. Now, it could be anything. It could be sexual. It could be appetites for food. It could be the highs that drugs and alcohol can bring a person. You've seen a person who's in addiction. Um, they cannot think straight about anything else in life. They'll pass up food for the next hit. And it makes no sense when you're watching it, but if you're in addiction... It makes total sense. It's all about the next thing to sustain the sense that you get from it, the feeling you get from it. And in a real sense, this was Isaac as a sensual person who was being governed by his senses and thinking through them. It led him to all sorts of unspirituality. Now, here's the sad part. That's Isaac. But you remember what we read about Esau related to his birthright? Back in chapter 25 of Genesis, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So there's this obvious build-up to the sensuality that comes through the life of Esau through the person of Isaac. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Those words from Isaac to Esau, they really paint the picture of someone who's just driven by thinking according to his senses. He feels this way about Esau because of what Esau makes him feel like. Isaac is a warning about where sensuality leads us. Addiction to sensuality is well known to us. The substances, to sex, to food. It's a killer of our physical health and our spiritual health as well. And Isaac's bad parenting and his bad husbanding was largely because he was being guided by his senses and not God's principles. And Esau was the same way. In Genesis 25, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. So he feels a certain way. His feelings are all like, I'm exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. I'm exhausted. His hunger, his appetite, his senses start taking over. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. He knows. He knows that Esau is guided by his senses. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? He despises the spiritual because his ready appetite, his sensual appetite is what guides him. And this is a lesson to us, because it's so easy for any one of those appetites to cloud our thinking and make us make bad choices, ungodly choices. And you know and I know, one issue may not be your issue, but you probably got another one. Everybody can relate to some degree with something you know isn't right, it's out of balance, but it really contorts your thinking and you don't make godly decisions because of it. And this is that on steroids in the lives of the patriarchs. For us to see, It had to hurt Isaac to some degree when he heard that Esau sold his birthright. It had to hurt him because he recognizes that's something I would do. How do you feel when you see your children do the exact same kind of sinning you do? It, it really strikes us. It, it's like it convicts us personally through the sins that they commit because we think we gave them to them. And to some degree, there's truth to that. It had to hurt him to know that Esau had grown up As a man given over to sensuality, just like him. The cat's in the cradle, so to speak. It's like Chapin said As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he had grown up just like me. The boy was just like me. It had to be obvious to Isaac that Esau was not the heir of the covenant for other reasons. Besides his unspiritual nature, Esau defied God's covenant stipulations by marrying not just one Hittite woman, but two twice out of the faith. Esau could not be the keeper of the covenant. But Isaac thought differently than God's plan. He wanted it his way. He wanted the one he wanted. And the secrecy of the exchange to give this blessing to Esau proves it. Normally, when you give the blessing to your, to your son, the one who will receive it, there's a huge party that happens. It's public. There's fanfare. There's a robe exchange. There's food. There's food transferred and words spoken. But in this case, they're trying to do this in the tent right quick before anyone else notices it. But Rebecca, Rebecca is gonna jump in with her own treachery as she hears what's unfolding. Verse five Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say this and that, and the other two, Esau. We've got, to, we've got to act quickly here or that blessing is going to go, that blessing is going to happen, and all that comes with it is going to go to your brother Esau. Now make no mistake, it's not that Rebecca or Isaac or any of these individuals at this point are looking ahead to the new heavens and the new earth and the enjoyment of all that comes from the covenant blessings that comes through them. They're thinking about their lives now and what would come necessarily at the front being God's covenant bearer. Rebecca, who is supposed to be Isaac's helpmate, knows his weaknesses and exploits them for what she wants and who makes her feel good, Jacob. She helps construct a devious plan, and it's a plan. You've got to say it's a plan. Uh, to steal the blessing from Isaac, Isaac's intended recipient. Um, and here, Jacob, too, is not acting with God's principles in mind. But his response to this crazy plan that he just goes in and tries to fake out his dad, who can't see very well, he, he raises an objection. Look at verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Jacob is not concerned with the morality of the plan but rather he's concerned with the high likelihood that it will fail as it is designed, and it will cost him even greater. His mother wants this so bad for Jacob. She says, I'll take the curse. Let's do this. Let your curse be on me, verse 13. My son, only obey my voice and go and bring him to them. See, she wants him to be blessed so she can benefit from the prosperity that Jacob will reap because she loves him more. And if Isaac doesn't last much longer and Jacob's heir apparent, she wants to be rightly related with him, not Esau. She already knows Esau's married to those two Hittite women that make her life miserable. Can't have this, so she's manipulating. You know, it's interesting how she pushes stuff on Jacob and forces him, not forces him, he was ready to do it, but definitely pushes it and suggests it on her son. And I think there's a bit of a lesson here for us parents Sometimes we project our aspirations on our children. Maybe something we failed at in the past, we press upon them now because we want to live through them vicariously. We failed ourselves, they won't fail on our behalf. It will take some of the credit for what they do in success. You probably know those kinds of stories. We have to be very careful to recognize what's best for them in God's plan for them, not what we think will make us look good or feel good if our children accomplish this, that, or the other. What is God calling our children to? It may not always be the very thing that we would like it to be for us. All of this is on open display in Rebecca's life and motives, so we can see it. Verse 14, So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Now make no mistake, domestic uh, domestic animals will taste different from what is brought in from the field. Uh, but they were going to they were going to enhance this plan to cover all their bases. And it's interesting, isn't it? Isaac's weak point are his senses, or I should say his sensuality. But his senses are a bit piqued. But now they're going to move stuff around to confuse him into making this decision. It is treachery at the highest level what they are pulling off here. Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. Verse 16. And this is the part that gets just kind of, well, creepy. In the skins of the young goats, she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. I mean, how hairy was Esau, I wonder? And just, and don't make any Italian jokes, there's no place for that whatsoever. And she put the delicious food and the bread which he had prepared into the hand of his son Jacob. What an elaborate plan. I'm going to put you in his clothes so you smell like him. I'm going to put some some goat hair on you so you feel like him. Um, You're going to have food that's going to smell like the food he'd like. Even if it wasn't quite the same, all these senses getting moved around and he's hungry and he acts upon that. Uh, We've got the plan. The preparations were made. Now it's time to unleash the plan. Verse 18. So he goes into his father. My father. Remember back to Mount Moriah when they were ascending, and Isaac realizes there's no lamb, and he says, my father. He says, here I am. There's a little bit of tragic interchange here. I know it's the way they may have talked, but you can't help but thinking back to that. She goes into his father, Isaac, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? He senses something is unusual here. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Now, you could see that he accepts Esau as the firstborn, even though he's lost his birthright. That's their little secret, you might say. The schemer reminds Isaac that the first, that he's the firstborn now, Esau, so he believes him. Isaac doesn't correct him. He's suspicious. Verse 20, how is it that you have found found it so quickly. How did you go out and hunt something, kill it, prepare it so quickly? That doesn't seem like it's possible. He's trying to figure out, this doesn't feel right. Because the Lord your God granted me success. Now, now we've hit the bottom. I don't know if you've been keeping track or tabs on the sins so far, but this one's the big one. Because Jacob uses covenant language to further persuade his father into this. He says, How did I get the game and prepare it so quickly? Because the Lord your God, your God, Isaac, the one that has called you from Abraham, uh, your God, he granted me success. He wanted me to take care of this quickly, to come back and receive this blessing from you. I think this is the lowest moment for Jacob in this story anyways. He senses his father knows something isn't right. He might get found out, so he uses this powerful line. It's sort of like when people say, when they know they're wrong, they're, they've been caught red-handed, and they know it, and they say, I swear to God that I'm not guilty. And you, you shudder because you, you you should not say that because you'll be cursed if you say that, but maybe they didn't do it because they wouldn't say something. They bring, and they use that formula to make the person believe, to manipulate, and that's what you have happening. Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. He's conflicted. He doesn't know. His senses are betraying him. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Now, so he blessed them there in verse 23. That's not the official blessing. That's the... You're welcome now into my presence. You're going to receive the blessing. It's part of the the complex of the blessing he will give. He's put down his guards, not all the way, but most of the way, and to come close now. He's disoriented for sure. A man who is led by his senses his whole life is suffering confusion now about how to interpret what he was seeing, what he was hearing, what he's touching. Lesson, when we depend on our senses, They will eventually deceive us into something awful. We cannot be governed by our appetites or what we think or feel on the front. Verse 24, are you really my son Esau? You could tell he's still conflicted. I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. Now look what happens. He's hungry. All this is built up to this point. So he brought it near to him. He ate and he brought him wine, and he drank. So he's feasting here. He's uneasy about the encounter, but now that he has what his senses have wanted, he's, his protections go down. Then his father, Isaac, said to him, after now he's satisfied, he's had his senses. You know how it is, you're always ready for a diet right after you overeat. I'm, I'm, tomorrow it starts. Yeah, You could say that right that moment. And there he is, That's relieved. And he says, come here and kiss me, my son. He's having some doubts now. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. This has got to be him. I can smell. This is my son Esau. He blessed him and said, and here's the covenantal blessing that is pronounced on Jacob. And of course, Isaac thinks it's Esau. See the smell of my son as is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine. These are all the blessings that come from being in his position. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And here's the key sentence of the Abrahamic blessing. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Those the exact words that were spoken to Abraham, and now transferred to Jacob, who he thought was Esau. The irony that Isaac, the sensual man, being led away from the Lord by his palate, was deceived by his senses. Jacob receives the blessings in the very words of the Abrahamic covenant. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now the tension just gets ratcheted up further as Esau comes back. So Jacob's cleaning up, he's received the blessing, he probably just leaves. And it says in verse 30, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Now verse 33 marks grace in the thick of dysfunction. You say, how? Follow now. Isaac starts to realize what just happened. Yes, Jacob duped him. But yes, he was trying to subvert the will of God. And it's all coming together. His desires, his love, his idolizing of his son Esau, as much as he tried to push him in ahead of Jacob and God's will, God would not allow it to be, and he's starting to feel what he had just fallen for. But he also senses God confronting him. Then, verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violently. It's not a health crisis, it's in response to his realization of what has just happened. A.W. Pink does us a favor here by describing it. This was the turning point in the incident, the point where, for the first time, light breaks in on the dark, this dark scene. It was horror which awakened in his soul as he now fully realized that he had been pitting himself against the expressed mind of Jehovah. Now that Isaac discovers how God had graciously overruled his wrongdoing, he bowed in self-judgment and trembled very violently. He was caught. It's all... So obvious that the Lord knows. His trembling comes from knowing God's plan could not be thwarted by his secret plan. He'd been duped by Jacob, but the trembling was deeper than that. He trembled very violently. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. He's setting up Esau to realize he's not getting a blessing. And he's also trying to divert Esau's anger from himself to Jacob. Another lame fathering move. Isaac knew who it was that did it. But he wants to shift blame. Verse 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, which means supplanter? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my right, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him your for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me. One commentator said, and it's too much of a stretch to say this what it means, but this will be the mindset of the one the second after they die when they hadn't chosen Christ, when they had not come to Christ. What? what your opportunity, humanly speaking, it was there. And this feeling you get from Esau is the feeling of the one who can't go back now. But what we have in the person of Isaac is an ownership of what God's will is at this point. Candlish said, Isaac owns the blessing as beyond recall. On what ground? Simply on the ground of it being manifestly God's will. He submitted at this point to know that Jacob was the one who is going to be the covenant bearer. God used the deceit of these people to accomplish his purposes. God sinlessly used Isaac's sin to accomplish his plan For redemption. Have you but one blessing, my father? So pathetic, this scene. Esau, this rugged outdoorsman, lifted up his voice and wept. Not only does Isaac not return with a blessing as such, although there are things in what he says that do bode well for Esau to some degree, but it'll be difficult. Um, he won't die, he won't be judged in this moment, he'll have, he'll have strength, but it won't be like what blessing Jacob will experience. Verse 39, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth you sh- your dwelling shall be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. You're going to have to move around to get, your, to get what's coming. It reminds us a little bit of Cain. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless you shall... Break his yoke from your neck. So he's not going to be condemned to death there, but he's also going to have a difficult go. Isaac's not pronouncing a curse. He's just saying what the future will now hold. He's just honestly stating it. It's interesting what the author of Hebrews says about this episode. A lot about Abraham and other figures, little about Isaac, but Isaac was a person who believed the God of Abraham. In Hebrews 11.20, By faith Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. Interesting. It turns out that Esau becomes Edom, which is a vast nation, a warlike nation. The Edomites, hostile towards Israel most of the time, taking revenge against Israel when they were weak. Isaac had planned to give everything to Esau, and now he has nothing left to give him but what might be called an anti-blessing. Not a curse, but certainly not something that Esau would look forward to like he looked forward to what he would have had. Verse 41, you can feel the weight of this. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, this becomes the the feature that drives Esau. Do you know people who live for revenge? They cannot get over anything until they see someone fall. The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob, as soon as my dad's dead, I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill him. He is a picture of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Esau's legacy in the scripture is not a good one. In fact, the author of Hebrews warns us using Esau as an example. He says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That's what happens through Esau that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And Esau's pursuit of Jacob will haunt his own life and to some degree haunt Jacob's life as well. There was a terrible price to pay for the way Jacob acquired that blessing. Look what happens with Rebecca who idolizes Jacob. And this is also ironic if you, look up, if you think about it. She was trying to safeguard Jacob to keep him close to her and benefit from him. And in the end, because of the way it was done, she has to send him away. Look at verse 42, the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said, your brother Esau, he's comforting himself, he's living his life, he's sustaining himself, he's finding power to live each day by planning to kill you. You got to get out of here. You got to go somewhere else and stay there for a while, go to my brother in Haran, and, and be there for a while. And she's also thinking to herself, this will accomplish another thing. While he's there, he can find a wife from our tribes and not from the Hittites. It's all about Rebecca at this point. It's her thinking of herself. Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? There's a lot of sensuality in this passage. It's what? how will I feel if my son marries another two pagan women who hate me? It's me, it's me, it's me. You've got to do this for me so I feel a certain way. How tragic all of this is when you think about how the story unfolds. Yet, you know the fullness of the story of the Old Testament. In Jacob's theft of the blessing from Esau, it demonstrates the infallibility of God's gracious plan for redemption despite the fallibility of his chosen ones. And to some degree, That should give us comfort. His promises can never get thwarted by any human being. The promises to you will be realized despite yourself, despite someone else who might be given too much credit as being able to take it from us or from you. Isn't this the mysterious way of God and how he deals with these things and with us? The story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not really about them at all. It's the story of God keeping his promise to send the seed of the woman, the Messiah, to be our Savior. Even through these people, Christ will come from Jacob, the supplanter. This is again about the infallibility of God's gracious plan for redemption despite the fallibility of his chosen ones. This is about God's grace, undeserved favor in the thick of extraordinary dysfunction. And should this not be a comfort to all of us Dysfunctional people. Candlish says, and I close with God overrules the evil for good, and on the ruins of man's manifold lies establishes his own truth. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. O oh Lord, here's another sermon where I I feel I'm left exhausted, honestly. We find lessons here about being ruled by our appetites, living for our own pleasures, projecting things on our children for our own sake and our own pleasure. Pretty much everyone in the story is out for themselves and for their glory. Your glory is far from their thinking. But Lord, we do this all too often in our own lives. We live based on our senses and neglect to see the eternal life that we have entered into, which you've called us out of and called us to, and we still live like tomorrow, tomorrow like tomorrow is more important than the future, eternity. We allow the fading glory of this life to jade decisions that we should be making with a view to your eternal glory. Help us, O Lord, to, to listen to your word and heed its instruction. I pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.